welcome to Coach House Talks. Today we're going to be looking at delving into James 1 Peter and 2 Peter. There's a lot to cover, but I'm going to try and make it relevant to our lives and something that we can put into practice. Now we're getting into what I call the general epistles. That's the book of James 1, uh, James 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John and Jude. The latter four, you're lucky, Becca's doing those next week, so I don't have to talk about them. And that's all about false teachers. But these seven books are called the general epistles. Now, as most of you know, I don't really like big fancy words. So actually, the word epistles really means letters, these general letters. And they're not really written to a particular person or a particular church group. They're written, actually, to the many. Now, I'm the youngest of two. My sister, Katie, Catherine, Kate, is four years older than me. I love her dearly. But as we were growing up, one of her favorite things she would say to me was, grow up. Well... Being the cheeky lad I was, and if you were in this church at that time, you would know I was, and still am. Um, And as time doesn't stand still, my response was always, I am. I am growing up. And it was the truth, I was. That's just part of life. You can't help but grow up. But I know what she meant. She wanted me to take more certain things more seriously than I did. And so her message really was, become more mature in the way you handle and deal with things grow up well that happens actually in these books to be the emerging theme through all of them is that we will become more mature believers that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of jesus let's look at 2 peter 1 verses 5 to 9 in view of all this make every effort to respond to god's promises supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patience and endurance, and patience and endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Now, those were Peter's words. And what's interesting about these books is that they are very, very practical. These letters are written to help us to continue to grow in practical ways. It's like this. Here's the truth. Live this out. Do this. Now, a maternity ward is one of those exciting places in a hospital, isn't it? Where new life is happening. And that's where, and then the child, you know, yeah, you give birth, the child comes home, child starts growing up, starts taking care, starts taking on certain features, sorry, as you first look at the baby and you think, I don't know who this baby looks like. Everyone agree? Babies just look all the same, right? I mean, they do and they don't. They do, but they don't. It's just a bit weird. Anyway, but as time goes on, he or she will start picking up characteristics of mom, of dad, of grandpa, uncles, aunties, and so forth. You even notice that they take on character traits. So we're just going to watch a very quick video. Thanks, Morgan. Oh! Nah, nah, it's not fun, I've got school. <laughs> nah, 
I'm not laughing. I've got school. Nah, <laughs> has he drawn on my face? Yeah. <laughs> look at the beans. Oh, look at the beans. It's a shame, isn't it, Mum? It's what? I mean, it's lovely. I is, love it. Is it lovely? Yeah, I love it. Okay, go, what, geezer? I want geezer. So, as you can see, characteristics, right? And to be honest, in this video, mainly what you're seeing is these children taking on the accents of their parents. Lovely. That kind of thing, right? And one of the most exciting days is when a child utters his or her first words. They're usually inaudible, though you swear they just spoke your name or said dada or mama. But even if they say la-la, it's like, wow, did you hear that? It's so exciting. And even though it's not greatly articulated, and even if the child were to throw up before or after these meaningless words, it's still a great day. However, if that child is five or 10 or 25 years old and says, dada, well, it's not that exciting anymore, is it? Because by age, you would expect much more maturity than just a mumbling of words. So growth is necessary and growth is anticipated. And it's the same with our salvation. Now, if I don't say it, my mum will say it in the hub in a minute. So I might as well get this out, out, out of the way right now. As a toddler, I didn't speak very much. I know it's surprising, isn't it? <laughs> But my first words were, now you two aren't allowed to answer, and anyone else who knows it isn't allowed to answer. What were my first words? Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Nope. You ready? <laughs> Funnily enough, no. It's complicated, isn't it? Thank you very much. Thank you. Didn't say anything for ages, then just went, it's complicated, isn't it? <laughs> See, cheeky, I told you. And although that was my sentence, that can't be said about the good news of Jesus. It isn't complicated. It's easy. It's simple. God didn't want people to come to know him to be an A-level exam, where only clever get to meet him. Just ignore this, it's been doing it all day. But for us all to simply have access. Now, I don't know about you, but I love seeing people giving their lives to Jesus. That moment, we get excited when somebody meets Jesus for the first time. But as excited as we get about watching that moment, I wonder why we don't get more excited about growth. It's as if we think, well, they're saved. Next. When that's just the beginning. There's so much more ahead potentially in our lives where we can become a great tool to be used by God. If you have faith, it will show. If you have doctrine, 
You'll see it in duty, in what a person is doing with their lives. Now, as a child, I always thought Jesus was the only child of Mary. Until I read my Bible (laughs) and found out, whoops, I was wrong. Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, Jesus had obviously his virgin birth. Joseph and Mary had had normal physical relationships and produced several children, brothers and sisters, to Jesus. And the brothers are found in the Gospels. The oldest half brother was James, followed by Joseph, followed by Judas, not Iscariot, and not the other Judas who's not Iscariot. Let's just call him Jude because that's what his name appears in the book of Jude. And then finally, Simon, not Simon Peter, again, common names, but a guy by the name of Simon. And these guys are all half-brothers of Jesus. So the author of the book of James grew up in the same home with Jesus. Just imagine, if you can, living with an older brother who's perfect. Now, if you were that older brother, you weren't perfect, trust me. Okay, how annoying would that be? How difficult would that be? Something goes wrong. Well, whose fault is it? Well, it's not going to be Jesus, is it? Who didn't empty the dishwasher? Well, normally Jesus would, but he's not in at the moment. Uh, Right? So James is even recorded as mocking Jesus. But the short story is that some, if not all of these half-brothers, did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They did not believe in his mission. They had no faith in him at all until after his resurrection. And after resurrection, Jesus makes a special trip to see them. And at that point, they come to believe. But they also come to be part of the early church. Later, James becomes the leader in the church at Jerusalem. So James, this is that James. Now, James's goal in this entire book and in 1 Peter and 2 Peter isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get up in our face and challenge how we live. Now, we can see that James has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he constantly quotes. And then the second is the book of Proverbs, especially poems and Proverbs 1 through 9. The book of James, like Proverbs, consists of actually quite a lot of short, challenging wisdom that are full of metaphors and easy to memorize one-liners. James believes that God's kingdom community, as Jesus taught about it, is the kind of place where the divisions created by wealth and social status are pulled to pieces. So he warns first about the arrogance that wealth can create in people who will believe it will be around forever. He says this, your wealth will one day rot just like you. In contrast, God's people are to live with patience and hope for Jesus' return, to set all things right, and this should inspire a life of faith-filled prayer. Now, as I said before, this part of the Bible, all of these three letters are practical and they're really powerful. And there's way more, you you lucky sausages, that I'm not going to go through it all this morning, okay? Otherwise, we'd be here for a long time. But seriously, if you get a chance, take a good read of them all. Now, who finds life hard sometimes? Anyone? Yeah, there you go. That's how you get everybody's hand up. I think we all do. But, Jesus, but James knows from personal experience that life is hard. 
He was martyred, after all, not long after writing this letter. But he believes that life's trials and hardships are kind of ironic gifts that produce endurance and shape our character. God can do amazing work inside of us, even in the middle of suffering. And he can help us become perfect and complete. Now that word perfect repeats itself several times in the book of James. In Hebrew and in Greek, this word refers to wholeness. It means living a completely joined up life where our actions are always consistent with the values and beliefs that we've received from Jesus. James knows that most of us live as broken people with big conflicts in our character and we're all a little bit more compromised than we probably want to admit. However, God is on a mission. He's on a mission to restore broken people, to make them whole. And it begins with wisdom. The ability to see our hardships through a new perspective. God wants to give this kind of wisdom to people who ask for it in faith. And when we realize our humble and frail place before God, we are forced to choose between anxiety or trust. Now, true wisdom means choosing to believe that God is good despite our circumstances. Try and view it as a gift that forces you to trust in God alone. God, through Jesus, has given us new birth to become new kinds of humans who can face suffering with total trust in the Father, just like Jesus did. And this humanity, this new humanity, is something we discover when we not only listen to God's word, but do what it says. Let's look at James 1, 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, no, this isn't me, although it looks like me. No, there are two factors in life that will bring us pressure, trials, and temptations. And they're very, very different. God allows trials. Trials come because we're alive. We breathe air. We live in a fallen world. And it can come from a few places. But trials are allowed by God and used by God to mature us. Trials are a tool that God uses to mature us. Temptations are used by Satan to entrap us. But if we're patient, even the temptations that Satan uses or tries to use against us, God can use for us. God promised he won't allow us to be tempted above what we're able, but also always, always gives us an escape. It's tricky, isn't it? 1 Peter 1. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God says that our faith 
is even more precious. Let's just go, let's just stop here. Our faith is more precious than gold. Our faith is more precious than gold. Wow. For this reason, God sometimes turns up the thermostat. He heats up the furnace of our suffering to reveal impurity in our hearts and so that it can be skimmed off. As the Apostle Paul writes, our faith is tested by fire when we are grieved by various trials. So what are they talking about here? Well, a goldsmith will take his crude gold ore in a crucible, subjects it to intensive heat, and then liquefies it. The impurities rise to the surface and are removed. When the goldsmith can see the reflection of his face clearly mirrored in the surface of the liquid, he takes it off the fire, for he knows that the contents are pure gold. And that is how God is with us. He puts us in the crucible of Christian suffering, in which sin is gradually skimmed out of our lives. Our faith is purified from the pollution of unbelief that somehow mingles with it so often. And the result is the reflection of the face of Jesus Christ in the character of us. This, above all, God the Father desires to see. Christ-likeness is God's ideal for us. Now, these trials of our faith will also produce patience. But we also need patience to go through the trial. It's a bit chicken and egg. The reason we go through the trial is to produce more patience and a more genuine faith in Christ. So that when we praise, we praise without ceasing with a genuine love and faith in our Creator God. So, how, does it, how would this look practically? Well, we go to Andy and we go, I'm really impatient, mate. Can you pray that God will give me patience? And Andy goes, sure, no problem. Father, send them trials, tribulations, heartache, hardships. And then we're like, hang on a minute, wait a minute. I prayed for patience. And then Andy does what all good pastors do and points you to the Bible. Romans 5.3 We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Wow. James 1.5 If you need wisdom, I need it. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. For when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is an unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the sea. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It's tough, isn't it? Now, of course, we can ask God for wisdom anytime. When we do, it's normally, normally because we're going through a difficult time. Everyone want to admit that? We don't go, God, can you just give me wisdom? Just because I'm having a great day and just, you know, some wisdom would be nice. But it's normally because we're fighting or we've said something to someone to upset them or we've 
we're just in that place of, Lord, why, why is this going on? Why is my health so bad, Lord? Why can I not talk to my, my sister about you? How, Lord, why? Because normally we're going through a difficult time. And that is the background here. It's about asking for wisdom while you're facing a trial, not when it's all rosy. Warren Wiersbe, an amazing ex-pastor, he's a Christian book writer, tells a great story when he was a pastor. He had a secretary who got sick. She had a stroke and she had to be admitted to the hospital. Right around the same time, her husband was also admitted to the hospital and almost died. Pastor Wiersbe said to her when he saw her, he goes, I've been praying for you through this. And she looked at him and she said, well, what, what have you been praying, Pastor? And he says, I've been praying that God will help you and I'm praying that God will strengthen you. We'd probably all say that, right? Don't need to be a pastor to, to know that someone needs strength, right? But then listen. And she turns around and she says, thank you. But would you pray one more thing? Would you pray that God gives me the wisdom not to waste this trial? <laughs> it really catches me that. And I'm not really sure why, but that's discernment. That's knowing that you're in a trial, but also having the faith that God's got you. Regardless, regardless of what you're going through, God has got you. And we need to ask him when we're going through those trials, give me wisdom, show me what to do. And the thing is, that's discernment. Lord, what is it you're doing? Why are you allowing this? I don't want to waste this trial because actually I don't really want to go through this trial again. But why? We've got to trust in God for this. And it seems, says in James 1, verse 12 and 13, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, ever. And he never tempts anyone else. Now, we must not leave these three books without talking about transforming grace. If you're here and you're a Christian today, I think we can all acknowledge the statement that I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not yet what I will be. We are all very much a work in progress. This is reinforced by the way the Bible uses to refer to different aspects of salvation. Ephesians 2.8, we have been saved. 1 Corinthians 15.2, are being saved. And Romans 5.9-10, shall be saved. Anybody seen Transformers? Yeah? Or even owned one of these lovely little toys? The fate of humanity is at stake when two races of robots, the good Autobots and the villainous Decepticons, bring their war to Earth. The robots have the ability to change into different mechanical objects as they seek the key to ultimate power. Now, I was incredibly blessed as a child. I used to have a full Optimus Prime. Do you remember it, Dad? Mom? Red truck, little, little, it was beautiful. It was like a truck and a cab and all that kind of stuff. It was amazing. <laughs> the thing was, for all intensive purposes, he was a large truck. But when I got hold of him and twisted various bits of this truck and reshaped him, 
He became what I always wanted him to be, which was a full, shiny robot. I'd given him more than just his original state. I'd given him a new purpose, a new life. He was the same body, but now had a different heart. We need to grasp the ongoing of God's work in us, that we are not the same as we were. And now we find ourselves right now between conversion and completion. If we look at the exodus of Israel, it's the journey out of bondage through a wilderness that leads them to the promised land. A journey God used to teach them, to reshape them and prepare them for the world they would enter when they crossed the Jordan. If we, as God's people, are not progressing, not growing or continually being changed towards maturity in our Christian life, then there's something wrong. Paul highlights the importance of this in several places in his letters. In his crucial statement in Romans, he tells us that having begun to experience God's grace in salvation, they are to be transformed by the renewal of their minds. Most of us know that statement, don't we? Romans 12, 2. But why does it matter that we grasp the importance of this as Christians? And in what way does this relate to grace? Well, it presses home the fact that being a Christian is more than just a label. It's a life. It's a new life that comes from God. And since this is true, this new life should be visible in the way we live. Remembering that we're not finished yet. God began a good work in us by his spirit. And then he continues his work in us to, in order to bring us to the day of completion. That day will come when Jesus returns, or if we pass into glory first. Either way, ladies and gentlemen, it's not a race. So as we come into land, what can we take from today? Or what I, what I like you to take from today? Number one, spiritual growth. Spiritual growth should happen. It's the normal course of life. Baby is born, you feed the baby, the baby changes, the baby's nappy, you don't have to do much. You don't even have to take it to special classes, although Tiny Talk is available on a Monday. It's going to grow into an adult. Growth should happen. Christian growth is expected. It should happen. Discipleship should be a normal part of our lives. Number two, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. We would like to think there's a correlation that an older a person gets, that the more mature they become. But not necessarily so. Spurgeon said in some churches, you have children who are 70 years old. They're babies, he called them. They're just being weaned from the bottle. And then you have mature men and women who are of a relatively young age, but mature in other ways, in spiritual ways. And between you and I, we're very blessed to have a few people in this church that stand here and teach us and tell us great stuff. And he's already said it, Johnny, Daniel, and then Becca next week. We're so blessed to have that. Number three, maturity is a process, not a performance. It takes time. It's not a light switch. It's not like, I got filled with the Holy Spirit last week. Woo! Now I'm sanctified. Whoa, let's go. 
Yeah, good thought. But it takes a lifetime to be sanctified. However, while sanctification will one day be complete, right now, it's an ongoing process. It's a journey, not a destination. The real key is the direction you're heading, not the distance you've traveled or the place you've reached. Number four, you can grow as much as you want. If a person wants to grow strong, you probably say, well, you need the right diet and you need to do the right exercises. It boils down to those two things. And I don't care what fancy title you're after, how much money you spend on some fancy diet, it comes to food in and exercise. Right? Everybody agree with that? Yeah? And that's the same in our spiritual lives. Diet. What are you eating? What are you feeding on? What are you reading? What are you meditating on? An exercise. Are you praying? Are you sharing your faith? Are you discipling others? Input, output. You can grow as much as you want. So finally, everything you need is within reach. Sorry, this is a bit I've struggled with, um, as Andy will know. We need to leave the list of what we don't have alone. We need to stop looking for things you think you need. What we need is wisdom. And the wisdom we need is probably in a book on a shelf you haven't read in a while. You know, sometimes when you pray and you ask God to help with a decision, God, how should I handle it? And God's like, have you even read the book I gave you? We've never lived in a lifetime where the information that is the word of God has been more accessible to us. These things, my phone, wherever I took it out of my pocket stupidly, these things will send you alarms, they'll break it down for you, they'll give you the Bible plan for reading it in a year, help you to read it while sitting on the bus, read it out to you in the morning, Becca's not here, that's what Becca does, help you with anxiety, stress, your needs, your loneliness, to name but a few. So come on, church. I want, you, I want to ask you something. I'm going to say this in love. Is the book still sitting on that dusty shelf? If you don't bring the book and the manual with you to church, what's it doing? Why aren't we on a church on a Sunday morning taking notes and taking those things home and looking at them? I'm terrible at remembering things. I know. I'm actually probably the, one of the most blessed people in this church because I get everybody's preach sent to me because we do all this kind of stuff. So I know. I can tell you that Daniel did a brilliant preach last week, as we can all say that. But if I go, what's the details? You go, uh, why aren't we taking notes? We'll buy a thousand pens and paper if that's what people need. We need to start reading our Bibles. We need to start bringing them with us. Because when you're going to hear next week from Becca, 
It's all about false teachings. We need to, we all need to make sure that when someone stood up here, including me, especially me, is not saying words that aren't just nice to hear. You need to check them out for yourselves. Otherwise, we could be preaching fake news from this platform. We all need to have responsibility in that, all of us. And finally, does it, irrespective of your physical age, you're not too old to grow up. So let's get on this. Let's start today. Let's not delay. We need to grow in the spirit. Let's start looking for the signs of Jesus. Let's start sharing the good news. And let's start growing to be more Christ-like. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.